This is a podcast, a podcast. Do, 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 do. I love a podcast. Don't you love a podcast? This is a podcast. Oh, podcast, 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 podcast in wax. Hello, everyone. That was Jordan D. White here. Uh, that was him, and also this is him um, singing the I Love a Podcast theme song written by Mr. Scape White, performing it live for you here on the ukulele. Um, we have a great show for you today, and I want to get right into it. So let me start by introducing uh, some of the people who are going to be on it. Uh, namely, first of all, Mr. Scape White, as we just discussed. Dad, I don't know why you try to do my songs, because you don't do them as good as I do them. Well, okay. I mean, that's personal opinion. No, that's fact. I did a poll, a scientific poll. You didn't. I did. I'm, 100% of people were like, uh, Scapey, your version is better than Dad's. You couldn't have done that. That's not possible. We, I just played it live just now before, as we're recording the podcast, literally like a minute ago or less, and there was no one for you to ask. But I did. Who did you ask? Myself. That's kind of a biased poll, isn't it? But 100%. How could it rise? Yes, 100% of you. Yeah, 100%. Now, that's a big percent. That's not how science works, Scape. You're screwing up science for everyone. No, Dad, that works. One. Hundred percent. That's it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm saying you're you're screwing it up. Okay. Um. Anyway, thank you for that, Scape. So, what's new with you? Nothing. I read you the first uh the first part of uh Call of Cthulhu. Finally, what did you think of that? Uh, well, it was okay. It was a little boring. Well, that's. I mean, that's kind of Lovecraft for you. But don't tell him I said so. I go. Oh, I guess he listened to the podcast. Damn, I shouldn't have said that. Well. <laughs> Uh, still, uh, it's. I mean, it, it, I'm sure it's going to get better. Well, better, because uh, so far, like that. But don't worry, when I do my rock version, it's going to be not. It's going to be like. Whoa! Good, good. Do you want to? Do you want to tell people uh, what happened in the first part? Um. Well, no. I. I basically, like a guy is like, hey, once upon a time I f- had an uncle and died and he was a professor and uh, he was like, had stuff and he had some stuff that was like, you and I was like, okay, that's about it. No, there was more, what about the dreaming people? Oh, uh, yeah. There was a guy who had visions in his dreams and he would write them down and they were cool. And then he went mental and uh, while he was going mental, other people had crazy dreams. And then he stopped going mental and he was fine. And then there was never any crazy dreams ever again for that guy. Okay, that's pretty... That's- Pretty cl- close, I think, yeah. I mean, you left out a lot of details. There was a fast version. Dad, I don't want to spoil it for when I do my rock version, but that's the fast version. Okay, all right. Let's bring in on our other our other guest host, who I, I think wants to tell us, not guest host, our regular host, co-host, who wants to uh, say something special, right? Uh, here's Mr. Rory Sinjin. Hello, Jordan. Yes, I do have something extra, you know, special to tell you about. What's that? Well, I, with, you know, your permission, as you know, am bringing in a special guest host to, um, you know, be our fourth but, uh, you know, he's going to be here a little later. So we're recording now, probably while we are listening to the serials, you know, shortly. He will join us, and uh, he can join us as our fourth. I think everyone will be quite surprised to hear him and be very pleased to hear him as well. Well, that's excellent. Do you have any hints as to who it is? Let's say it's someone who 
Um, anyone who's a fan of the podcast knows his voice very well. Okay, uh, very mysterious, but uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to find out who it is too. Well, you'll actually have a, a little bit of a preview um, because he also did the This Day in History for today. I mean, the Where Are They Now in History for the, the day today. He's a good friend of mine. And so I did have him do the Where Are They Now in History for today. So when we get into the serials, you will will hear his voice. And then when, you know, when we get when we all get back, we can all talk to him about it. Well, that's great. I mean, that's really exciting. Escape, you have any guesses as to who it is? Um... Is it Jordan Robot? No, it's not Jordan Robot, no. Well, then I don't care, really. He's the best. No, that's not... I don't like that guy. He's a robot. Yeah. I don't want him in my house anymore. Dad, he's a friend of mine. Well, you shouldn't be hanging around with that type of friend. Dad, he's my good friend. Come on. Jesus. All right, well, whatever. Anyway, um... Rory, would you be so kind... Yes? ...as to read uh, the letter we got from Mr. Charles Berman today? Oh, uh, well, yeah, no, let's just read it. Let's just read it. All right, um, that was a little mysterious. Dear Jordan, thanks for having me on the podcast last week. I enjoyed being on the show. It made me rethink a few things about the morality machine. For instance, I realized that it would be pretty selfish of me to take that $800 check for myself. Excellent, good to hear. Um, I mean, if Frank really stole Rory's checkbook and then gave one of his checks to whoever's sending me those crazy notes, then I guess it isn't really fair for Rory to have to pay the money. Thank you, Charles. Thank you. So I endorsed the check over to Amnesty International and gave it to them. This way, we don't waste the paper the check was written on, and we help save the world from being destroyed. I'm sure Rory will be glad I didn't just take the money like he thought I would. Well, yes, Charles, I'm very glad. Well, finish the letter. Finish the letter. (sighs) Fine. I think that the desperate letter guy just won't give up. He started sending me things like, Do not trifle with me. Do not host in my place. I have followers all over. Anyway, the morality machine is definitely making people stand up and take notice. Even as I write this, I can look out the window and see a man being brutally beaten because he tried to pick someone's pocket. Once thieving scum like him are eliminated from the world, our morality quotient is sure to go up. I am thinking of starting one of those vigilante gangs myself. Then I can make all my extra history readings about how everyone should join my gang. And it will still be moral because it will be in service of a good end and eventually make people happier overall. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the shows this week. Charles. Charles, I, you know, I'm glad you had a great time on the show. I, ha- I enjoyed having you on the show, but I'm, I'm concerned that I still am not getting through to you. You're, I'm trying to explain to you how this morality machine works. Every action you take changes the number. Every single action. That means every single action. And yes, the morality machine is watching us at all times and does get context. But beating someone up is a, is a negative thing. And the number is going to go down when somebody... Are they a pickpocket? Yes. But does stopping a pickpocket raise the number? Yes. Does beating up a pickpocket bring the number down? Yes. There is a, there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. Realistically speaking, people should be living as though there wasn't a morality machine and then seeing how everything goes. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, that doesn't quite, that doesn't quite work 100%, but I think you know what I mean. Like, in the old days, if someone picked someone's pocket, you wouldn't beat them up. You would arrest them and send them to jail. You know, there's a right, there's a right way and a wrong way. Beating someone up, killing them, things like that, not right. Putting someone in jail, making them pay their debt to society, right. Trying to educate them about the morality machine and teach them why doing the wrong thing is going to get them all killed, that's right. Beating them senseless, not right, okay? So, Charles, don't form a vigilante group. Vigilante justice, (sighs) vigilante justice, wow, this is a tough one. Is it right or not? This is exactly what the problem is with the morality machine. It, it, it has these gray areas that are totally unclear. No, there's not a gray area here. There's not a gray area here. Again, vigilante justice is partially right, partially wrong. Like some of the part, it's going to make the numbers go up and down at the same time. And I know that's bizarre and that means it's going to end up breaking even, but it depends on how bad of the thing that they're doing. If the vigilante group is killing people, it's going to go down. If they're beating people up, it's going to go down. 
if they're assisting the police in what we would call justice. Well, I think some people do call murder justice when it's revenge for a crime. No, well, okay, when I say we, I mean me and the morality machine. I'm going to tell you all right now, if you installed the app that tells you what whether an action is right or not, vigilante murder, it, it definitely says is wrong. It's, again, it's available on, I should be on the i. Uh, the iTunes store by now. I'm waiting for Apple to approve it. But the point is, yes, it's an app. It's kind of like the Shazam app where you, you play it, it records some music and, and then it goes, Oh, here's what song you're doing, you're, you're listening to. It's like that, except that you video and sound record an event happening and it, and it says, it calculates and goes, mm, the morality machine says that's a plus five or the morality machine would say that's a negative six, you know, or a negative 100. Or negative, you know, more than that if it's a big one. Anyway, the point is, um, you could download that app and you can see that vigilante murder is not, is a, is a negative. It's definitely a negative. Stopping a crime is a positive. Stopping a crime, that's called excessive force. Just like, remember in the old days before the morality machine, the police weren't allowed to use excessive force? Well, neither are you in stopping a crime right now. You have to do, uh, just the right amount of force. And if you're not trained, it might be better not to use force because you aren't trained to calculate how much force is excessive for it. This is getting really complicated, Jordan. No, it's it's really not. It's really not complicated. I mean, that's the thing. If you want to do the right thing, don't form a vigilante gang. The better, you know what? I mean, maybe stopping crime as a civilian, yes, it's going to make the number go up. But you know what's going to be better? You know, devoting your life to it by becoming a police officer. So Charles, I don't know about how your job is going. Try to become a police officer. And no, before you even say anything, if there are too many people trying to become police officers and they start fighting, that's wrong too, okay? That brings the number down. It's not a competition. It's all about just doing what's right, okay? And I don't think that there are too many people joining the police force, but if there are, you know what? I mean, here's the thing, Charles. Here's the thing. Ask yourself this. If two people want the same thing, what's the moral choice? Is the moral choice to beat them so that you get the thing you want? Or is the moral choice to say, why don't you take it, other person who is also wanting the same thing as me? And again, anticipating what you're going to say, or what you and the people around you are going to say, that doesn't mean that everyone should say, why don't you go for it? Uh, and then no one does it. Because when one person says, no, please you, 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 you take it, then the polite thing to do would be to say, thank you very much and accept, you know? It's not a competition for who can be most moral. And by the way, polite and moral are not synonyms, I know. <sighs> anyway, look, Charles, don't fight with people. Don't beat people. I don't think it's ever right to kill, ever. So it's also not really right to use violence if there's another solution. So find another solution than violence. That would be the moral thing to do. The numbers will go up higher if you find a non-violent solution to your problems and to everyone else's problems and to all problems in the entire world. Woo! Wow, that's going to be an easy one. Like, for example, I did. This is a nonviolent solution, talking about the morality machine, educating people through the morality machine. It is a permanent and violent solution if we all fail. That's a negative thing. If the world weren't already blowing up once the world blows up, the world might blow up. But the world will already have blown up by then. I'm sorry, what? Don't worry about it. The point is, the morality machine's good. You are not understanding it again, Charles, and I apologize for that fact, but it, I don't know what to tell you. You, don't, you just don't seem to be getting it. Hopefully, the people around you are getting it better, although apparently they aren't because they're beating each other in the streets. Tell them not to. Please tell them not to. Please. Um, I am a little concerned. Speaking of the morality machine, I am a little concerned uh, this week because um, Atlas Shrugged, the movie adaptation of Atlas Shrugged did come out. This is, a, this is a very big danger to us. Let me just say, if this movie becomes incredibly popular, uh, the world's probably going to block. Jordan, that's incredibly unfair of you. What? Why? Because you can't make the machine programmed against a certain movie. No, no, no. I'm not. Yes, right. Okay. I'm not, I'm not saying like I put it in the thing. If anyone enjoys Atlas Shrugged, bring the numbers down. No, it's more that the, the Atlas Shrugged uh, novel has, has kind of this incredibly immoral and reprehensible uh, philosophy behind it. And if you are a fan of it, then I'm sorry to say you are helping the world uh, get 
blown up by by um you know being an immoral person and the morality machine is going to judge you and then we're going to the numbers are going to drop so if this movie does really well um people are going to if people are influenced by it and they start living their lives by the the moral lessons learned from it uh then the number is going to go down and we're going to be in a little bit of danger thankfully i just looked it up online and it looks like i'm, I'm recording this on saturday even though it comes out on on, on uh, monday but uh as of right now, uh, on Friday night, it only grossed $683,000 compared to, again, the top movie of the week grossed, uh, which is Rio, grossed uh, $10.2 million, and this is point about $0.7 million. So that's a pretty big difference. I would say I would say Atlas Shrugged is um, not doing great. Uh, the, the reviews are terrible, but then again, the reviews of the book were terrible, and it still influences people. It is an insidious and reprehensible novel. So anyway... Um, you know, do your best not to go see it, just in case, just in case you happen to be the kind of person who would like it. Um, try not to see it because, uh, I don't want, I don't want the numbers to go any lower than they are. I mean, we're right now, we're, we're, we're under 2000, guys. Uh, we're at 1732. It's not wonderful, but it's, I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not wonderful. So I, I happen to kind of, you know, like the Atlas Shrugged novel. That does not surprise me in the slightest, Rory. That does not surprise me in the slightest. And listen, don't say that too loud because the numbers will go down. What? No, I'm joking. I'm joking. The numbers don't go down from you saying that. But if you act on, you know, your natural inclinations, being that that is an influential book to you, yes, the numbers will probably go down. That's completely unfair. No, it's not. That's literally what the machine is made for, you know, to stop things like that. Things like, you know, being greedy. But the whole point of Alishad is to show that being greedy is what makes the world better. That it makes the world stronger by looking after ourselves. Rory, seriously, 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 we're at 1600 now, okay? You gotta stop saying that. This is completely unfair! I mean, no, I don't want the world to get blown up, of course. So I'll stop. But still, that is very unfair, Jordan. I personally am offended that you've done this. Yes, 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 yes. Okay. Anyway, um, don't go see Alice Shrugged. So, um, let's get right to it. I, we, you know, I, I do have a lot going on, and uh, we, have a, we have a big show, and we have a guest coming up. So let, let's, and we have a bunch of emails to read afterwards. So let's get right into the serials. Uh, we've got Slam Jackson, we've got This Day in History, and then we've got Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, thank you for listening, and enjoy. Slam Jackson! Adventurous! By Daniel Schwartz. Episode 13, The Greco-Roman Gala. Our story begins with Slam Jackson, private investigator and famed adventurist. Hey. At the mattress hoedown in search of a mattress for his new king-sized bed frame. Hmm, this one's a little too springy. Maybe something firmer. And now it's too firm. Darn it, I try to treat myself to something and it turns into a big production. Why are all these people here? What the hell? What the hell indeed! For at the center of a rolling mass of sign-bearing enthusiasts, a king-size mattress has been set on a diocese and roped off to form a protective cordon. At the center of this ersatz arena, Slam Jackson beholds the oiled musculature of his arch-nemesis, El Grande! Darn it. Ah, Slam Jackson, I, El Grande, master luchador and champion wrestler, am pleased to see you have made it. Ah, El Grande, I, Slam Jackson, private investigator, was hoping to buy a new mattress in peace. 
Ah, and well you should, you heal. For I, El Grande, am here to reclaim what is rightfully mine from the one who bears it wrongfully. Who is you, Slam Coxon? You're serious? I am. You want a rematch for the belt. After last time? I do, yes, indeed. Here? Now? Now, here. Us wrestling, on a mattress, in front of all these people. Nothing would please me more. Um... It's no use dawdling, Slam Hat. Slam Jackson. Slam... Slam Jackson. My glistening pectorals are alight with anticipation. My rippling abs undulate with excitement. My taunt... Okay, fine. Just stop describing yourself. Holy crap. And so, our courageous consumer strides boldly into the ring, removing his shirt and tossing it into the screaming crowd. Alrededor de uno, lucha! And the two beautiful men throw themselves at each other, grappling with the fury of a dozen similarly beautiful men. Before long, however, our hero gains the upper hand with an unprecedented show of speed and cunning. Will you stop that? I am a grande. You will submit. Uno, dos, tres. Alrededor de una ba a Slam Huxon! I'm tired of this. With hands like talons and a grip like a vice, our helplessly handsome hero tears the mask off of El Grande, revealing a bleary-eyed Kevin. What, what, what am I doing here? Why is my shirt off? Dude, you challenged me to wrestle. Me? But I can't wrestle. Okay, I'm leaving. Federal campeon! Adderotalo a su archienemigo! Y lo que es que sobresalen en el parte delante de sus pantalones. Oh, for the love of... No importa el buto. Solo quiero comprar un colchón de tamaño king para mi estructura de cama nueva. ¿Puedo hacer eso, por favor? ¡Oh, de nada, Slam Hudson! Gracias, amigo. What did Slam Jackson just say? Was it Spanish? How did Kevin learn to wrestle like that? Brace your fool selves for the thrill of a lifetime, gentle listeners, when you encounter the pulse-quickening and butt-clenching excitement of our next episode of Slam Jackson. Adventurist! In that episode of Slam Jackson Adventurist, Slam was Jack Coonrad, the narrator was Mickey Weishner, ringmaster was Charles Berman, El Grande was Bailiff Quimby, and El Grande Unmasked was Ed Jones. Welcome to This Day in History on WHRW Binghamton. My name is Rory Sinjin. On April 18, 1775, British troops march out of Boston on a mission to confiscate the Patriot Arsenal at Concord and capture Patriot leaders. As the British departed, Boston Patriots Paul Revere and William Dawes set out on horseback from the city to warn Adams and Hancock and rouse the Patriot Minutemen. Oh, we gotta get out of this building, men, but there's no exits! 
There's no exit! This is an arsenal! Why are the doors blocked? An exit! An exit! My freedom for a good exit! Wait I a- must get to my horse! I've got an idea! What? There are no exits in this building! Uh-huh. And we've got all this ammunition in here! Why uh- don't we blow ourselves an exit? Excellent idea! Brilliant! We'll warn the townspeople that the British are coming, and we'll destroy the arsenal at the same time so the British can't steal it! Huzzah! I'll light the fuse! Everyone, get away from the fuse! Wait a second, how are we supposed to get out? Ah, come! If only the uh, Patriots had kept their fire exits clear, they would have freed themselves from British tyranny. This is Roy Sinjin in the United States of Britain. But don't salute the flag just yet. My name's Frank Allen, and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cash and Wax. It is true that the United States never overthrew the shackles of tyranny held by the British government as it uh, kept them down, but that, in fact, might have been better for that world than it is in our world. You see, the British were very, very good at making sure that their fire exits were clear. They would squelch the rebellion, and then the first thing they would do is go through every building and make sure that there was a proper fire procedure that would be followed, there were clear exits, and that they were marked very, very very clearly. They had mandatory tests for every American citizen. Well, they were British citizens then. Making sure that they knew where their fire exit was and that in an emergency they could react properly and get themselves to safety quickly and efficiently. And this is a tradition that continues to this day. The current regent of the United States of Britain, one Rory Sinjin, has made it his mission to make sure that every child in the USB is completely familiar with fire safety regulations. That's why the USB is called the safest place to be in a fire. I don't know about you, but I think this is a lesson we could all learn from Rory Sinjin. Make sure to educate your children about fire safety and make sure you're educated yourself. My name is Frank Allen and this is Where Are They Now in History on Cast and Wax. Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Super Villainy. Episode 7. Rob Moffat's Clubhouse of Super Villainy? By Cheryl Casey. Previously on Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy. After an argument, Donnie and Rob part ways with Rob hanging up his acid reflex costume indefinitely. As Rob storms out of the guild office of Avalon Frankie, Donnie initiates a plan known only to him and the arch-villain Titus Eroticus. What a freaking dill hole. What? You were expecting Donnie? Because it's Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, right? I'm sorry, folks. Donnie's head is wedged way too far up his backside for him to currently narrate. Welcome to Rob Moffat's clubhouse of asinine friends doing asinine things. Not so much of a clubhouse anymore, kiddies. More like a zoo. I should have known what to expect from Donnie at this point. It was his clubhouse. It didn't matter that I was the one petitioning for all the grant money for the modified deer, the thrones, the torture recliners. The clubhouse was his. I knew this was going to happen from the very start. I knew it, and I could have stopped it too, but no. I thought it would be good for him to learn a valuable lesson from his mistakes. Let the baby touch the stove to figure out it's hot, right? Now baby's in the ICU, missing fingers and needing skin grafts. 
It was nice to be roughly about as useful as the wannabe, villainous twink sulking at the water cooler dramatically, mysteriously, poetically, or any other misinterpretive adjective she idiotically assigned herself at random on her internet journal of the moment. It's okay. I don't like him either. No one does. Huh? What are you talking about? Avalon Asshat? I just invented that nickname for him this very second if you want to use it later. What? No, I'm not going to talk to him until he admits he's a dweeb and a total sack of suck. Oh. Well, I didn't come up with that nickname anyway. The Avalon Asshat, I mean. That was Jiminy Hatchet. I'm sure all this information you just made me privy to would be super enlightening if I actually cared. But the unfortunate fact of the matter is, is I really, really don't. What bad day crawled up your butt and died? <laughs> Me? I'm fine. My colon is both guilt and fiber-free at the moment. I'll even bend over and let you take a look if you're so inclined. Whatever. I'm so over this. I don't have to put up with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, misconception. Go heal leukemia patient over it. You! You... you're such a jerk! Super villains? Jerks? No! It's better than being a total sap and getting steamrolled while trying to help your idiot friend with his artificially manufactured problems. <laughs> and now you're crying. Oh, oh no! Oh no, no, no! <laughs> what? You can't... Can't you just bottle it and use it as a bargaining chip? Later? No! God, you don't understand! I don't... I mean, it's just I can't... I need to... I've been discovering that I'm understanding less and less the deeper I get into this conversation, yes. Throw me a bone, please. Hang on, I just... I need to... Wow. Okay, that was close. Close to what? Close to me almost seeing what your other eye looks like underneath all that hair? I'm totally lost right now. God, will you just stop talking and give me a second, you almighty douche? My tears don't actually cure cancer. I just said that so none of you supervillains would try to make me cry. Huh? I, I don't get it. Are you really that sensitive that you need preventative measures against crying? No! Why is it that no one ever understands what I'm saying? I'm trying. Why don't you want to cry? When I cry, I cry like a lot, a lot. It's not like... Oh, crap, my makeup is running a lot. It's like Dad forgot to call on my birthday and an entire Aborigine village is flooded and the sea level has risen like a fraction of an inch a lot. Wow. Wow, indeed. I sweat acid. Pansy. If you're so worried about crying, then why hang out with supervillains? Duh. They're all emotional cripples. Take Titus Eroticus. His daughter falls in love with a minion, a freaking nobody. He refuses to talk to her until she dumps this loser, but then the minion actually up and dumps her. Her head and limbs are found sticking out of a torso-shaped cake. Who does that? Not Titus Eroticus, according to his defense attorney. These guys are way quicker to hurt you physically than emotionally. And you can't cry if you're dead. Right. Well, what about Avalon Frankie? What about him? I wouldn't exactly call him an emotional cripple. I wouldn't exactly call a glorified editor a supervillain either. That's pretty gutsy, saying that in his guildhouse. Whatever. If you think that Patsy has any sway, you're dumber than you look. Everyone knows that as soon as Eroticus is done with him, we'll all be seeing pictures of Avalon's nobody's head on a purple cake all over the news.
I must have missed the memo on that one. Maybe. There's been a lot of confusion over the email groups. One of the higher-ups made a group header of lackeys, and then there was another one called Minions, and and they're sent to the same people. My inbox is constantly getting spammed with duplicate messages. Okay, I'm going to walk away now. As nice as it was talking with you, it's time for me to have a nervous breakdown. Yeah, I get that a lot. My knee-jerk reaction was to run back and drag Donnie Sarihide out of there with me, but knee-jerk reactions tend to have a lot of adrenaline and heart palpitations, and if I've learned anything in my lifetime, it's do not engage in anything that will make you sweat. Besides, having a sinking feeling over Titus Eroticus's involvement was different than actually having proof that he'd send an order ahead to the bakers for a customized purple Avalon cake. Telling Donnie would probably just make us both more of a target than he was already making us. Not that he'd probably listen to me right now anyway. No, the best way to deal with a supervillain was to find a superhero. I was squealing damsel and there was only one person in the world who could save me. Phantasma. I drove home with the idea that I would contact Lisa once I could fabricate a story that would have her pulling me and Donnie out of the fire while simultaneously giving us both wiggle room to explain away any culpability. You see, Lisa, he really wanted to buy you that necklace, so he took out a loan. From Titus Eroticus? No, that doesn't sound right. Let me try again. I'm too late! Rob. Lisa? Lisa, why? I don't... That's my door, Lisa. I've scoured his entire apartment. I've torn it to shreds. There is nothing. No sign, not anything. I don't understand. Oh, man. You're wearing the tights. This is serious. I'm uh, I'm a bleeder. Not in the face. Please. Rob, we need to focus on what is important here. I found this in Donnie's apartment. He's nowhere to be found. What? A letter? Read it. Phantasma, I have what you desire. To this your love is marked, and he die must. Cordially, Titus Eroticus. He wouldn't. He wouldn't? The General of Sara wouldn't. He just did. No, he can't. He knows better. That this isn't happening. I'll tell you what's happening, Rob. I'm done playing nice. Everyone involved is dead. You don't mean that. I don't. The first thing I'm going to do when I get to Titus is rip his tongue from his mouth so that he is unable to beg. Then I'll start all the way at the bottom with his pinky toe and not stop until there's not a single bone in his body left intact. Maybe you should... Rob? Yeah? We're going to have to clean him up with a mop. Oh... In that episode of Donnie Palumbo's Clubhouse of Supervillainy, Rob was Jordan Randall, Ms. Conception was Angela Tymon, and Lisa was Julia Kelly. Thank you very much, Rory, and thank you very much, listeners, for listening. And Rory, I cannot tell you how excited I am that you found Frank Allen. I'm sorry? Frank Allen. He's He did the This Day in History, the Where Are They Now in History. You found Frank Allen. This is, like, amazing. We, we I mean, you were paying Slam Jackson. I'm assuming Slam Jackson found him. Ah, uh, new, new, actually new. You found him yourself? I mean, that's even more impressive. I didn't even know you were actively looking. No, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, Jordan. I'm sorry. I'm afraid you misunderstood. How did I... No, I didn't. I didn't misunderstand. That was Frank Allen. He said, "My name's Frank Allen." Yes. Oh, yes. Uh, no, it is Frank Allen, but it's not uh, the Frank Allen we know. What? N- uh, no, no, no. This is um good Frank Allen. Good Frank Allen. Yes, from the other world. Uh, from the world that uh, good Hitler comes from. He mentioned at that time that there was a good Frank Allen. I had him on my show once. Oh, yeah. Great. Good. Yes. Good Frank Allen. R- right. So he's. Fr- 
from another universe. Yes, good Frank Allen. Wonderful, wonderful broadcaster. Very popular in his world. Very popular. It's a, quite a coup to get him on the podcast, or it would be in the other universe. But he's good friends with with me, myself. We keep in touch every once in a while. And I, I did ask him if he would like to come up here, and he would. So he should really be here any minute, you know. Oh, well, I mean, that's great. Well, good, good Frank Allen. Good. Yes, it, it is quite good. Huh. Okay, so the regular Frank... Oh, is that him? Let me go get the door. Let me go get it. It's great to be here, Jordan. We meet at last. Wow, it's really bizarre. I mean, you look just like Frank Allen. Well, I am Frank Allen, so that makes sense. No, I mean, I know, but I mean, you look, uh, you look just like our our Frank Allen, the the one that we used to have on our show. Well, thank you. Uh, can I just sit here? Yes, yes. Have a seat, please. Oh, great. Um, this is wonderful. Oh, this is a very nice setup you've got here. Thank you for having me on your show. It's my pleasure. Uh, thank you for being on my show. I understand you're. You're quite a broadcaster, so it's it's an honor to have you on the show. No, no, no. I, I assure you the honor's all mine. Uh, Rory has said wonderful things about you and your podcast, and it's really terrific to be on a show with such talented people. Um, Rory, as 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 I'm sure I don't have to tell you, is a is a brilliant extra historian. He uh, he's the one who who first got me into this world, uh, uh, brought me over here, and showed me what it was like. For that, I am forever in his debt. It's a very nice place, and um, I, I I like coming on vacations here because I'm I'm not recognized everywhere I go in my home uh, world. You know, I'm mobbed. You know, people know who I am. Whereas I can go here, I can come on vacation, uh, be anonymous. It's very nice. It's very very relaxing. Very relaxing. But Rory again is a gifted extra historian, and I I I salute him and I bow to him uh, and thank him for inviting me here onto the show. But you yourself, Jordan, you're also quite talented. I, I have enjoyed all of your serials. I'm, I'm sad that they aren't as successful uh, as they could be if I were to play them in my world. But I, I know extra-dimensional copyright law is very complicated. I know the rights would end up going to the other Jordan in my universe, which is not probably the best thing since he is not uh, a very good guy. Oh, so I'm the I'm the good Jordan. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's. Uh, I don't I don't want to talk about it, but. He's not great. Um, my point is that I did enjoy listening to your podcast. Uh, it's very good. And, of course, Mr. Scape here. Uh, no, no, Scape right. Scape right, Mr. White. Yeah, right. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, Scape White, very talented singer. I applaud you and, and your work. It, it's terrific. I look forward to hearing of, I hear you're doing a Call of Cthulhu. That sounds really intriguing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Call of Cthulhu, yeah. It's uh, it's going to be real exciting. So far, it's boring, but I said my version... I'm sure your version will rock. Yes, that is really... My version is going to rock, yes. That's, yeah, that, that's why I can't wait to hear it. This is going to be great. So, thank again, thank you for, for having me on. Are we already recording? Oh, yes, I thought... I thought you were saying all those complimentary things because you knew we were recording. Oh, no, no, I was just... I was just... No, I was just telling you how I feel. I didn't realize we were... Okay, we're, we're going, we're going, okay. Um, hello, everyone. My name is uh, Good Frank Allen, and it's a pleasure to be being listened to by you. If you're a fan of Cast and Wax, you obviously have very good taste, and uh, I applaud you as well. That's very nice of you to say. That's very, very nice of you to say. So, um, again, thank you for being here. Uh, we, we do have some some email. We have a whole bunch of email to read. Would you like me to read one of them? I, I can read it out loud. Oh, yeah, that... Well, that would be great. Uh, sure. So, what, what is this first one? Here, right here. Okay, this one appears to be to Scape. Uh, Dear Scape, as a talking sapient cat, I hope you understand your unique position. You are not subject to judgment from the morality machine, and yet still possess intelligence and agency. I wonder if you could help me. I am a longtime counterfeiter, money launderer, and crime boss, but now the morality machine has put me out of a job. Would you act as my proxy? I can pay in moist food. Forrest T. Harrison. I would do moist food. Give me moist food. I'll do whatever you need me to do. No, Scape, no. First of all, no. That's terrible of you to say. Because first of all, I'm not going to let you. That's he's, he's He wants you to do crime. But I got moist food. But you do crime. No, I'll give you moist food to not do crime. How about that? Well, he's, I mean, he didn't say, but I bet you he's going to give me more. I'll give you more. Look, 
Note, Scape, you're forbidden to do this. Mr. Harrison, I am glad you're out of a job. That's perfect. But no, you can, it's, if you ha- have a cat act as your proxy, you're still responsible and you're still getting judged by the morality machine. Trying to entice a, a non-judged cat into doing things that you would get judged for already is bringing the number down. That in itself is an immoral act. Come on, use your head. Jeez. Yeah, I would think that would be clear, to be honest with you. Mr. Mr. Harrison, you know, I'm sure that as a longtime counterfeiter, money launderer, and crime boss, you have a lot of skills that can be used for good. Now, I know you're used to doing things with intimidation and threats, but at the same time, I'm sure there are managerial skills that you could bring to a professional, above-the-board business that you have learned over the years. You know, uh, you could work at a bank, or you could, um, you know, work at a, a an investment agency. I don't know. Something like that. Well, I mean, to be totally honest with you, the fact that you have written to a public thing saying you're a longtime counterfeiter, money launderer, and crime boss, and you've given your full name, Forrest D. Harrison, there's a decent chance you're going to be arrested. Oh, that's true. That is true. Um, Jordan, you know, I, I forgot to mention when I was talking about how good your serials were, I did forget to mention how wonderful this morality machine idea is, and I, I do support it entirely. Oh, well, thank you for saying, thank you for saying so. That's really terrific. Uh, well, we've got another letter here. Uh, Rory, do you want to uh, read this one? Because no, you know what? I'll, I'll read it. I'd be happy to read. I, I don't mind reading the letters, and I, I, I feel like it, it helps me practice for my, my own broadcast. Oh, okay. Well, be my guest, of course. I, I didn't mind at all. Thank you. Thank you for that. Here's another one that says, uh, Dear Jordan, Jordan, can you please put me in touch with Slam Jackson? I am interested in his services, if you know what I mean. Because I heard he was gay, and so am I, and I am sexually interested in other gay guys like Slam Jackson. Arthur Allen Addison. P.S. Also, what about Max Thornfield? Is he gay? Um, okay. Uh, well, Slam has asked us not to talk about his sexuality on the show, which I don't think we should view as an admission that he's gay. And not that being gay is something you have to admit, because it's not a bad thing. It's a fine thing, as I'm sure you know, since you said you're gay. Um, the point is, he doesn't want us to talk about the fact that he's gay, or the question of whether he's gay, or whether or not he's gay. Um, so, he might be gay, but he might not, and I'm not going to give you his number. But he is in the phone book, obviously. He's a businessman, he's a private investigator. So you could ask him, if you called him about, a, I mean, you shouldn't, actually, no, wait, you shouldn't call him, because if you were going to call him, you'd want to call him about a, a private investigator gig, not about a, a gay gig. Because, because he doesn't do, I don't think he does gay gigs because I don't even know if he's gay. But my point is, I don't, I think he, you can call him about a private investigator gig, but not about like a relationship. I don't think he's, he does like, I mean, God, I'm making it sound like I think he's a prostitute. He's not a prostitute. I don't even think he would be for money. Well, that's the definition of a prostitute. Right. And I'm saying, I don't think, Rory, you were the one who called him gay last week. Well, I don't necessarily know. Look, I don't know one way or the other. But the point is, as Jordan said, don't call him, even though he's in the phone book. Right. Oh, gosh. That didn't, that didn't go well. No, not really. No, guys, you guys were fine. You guys were fine. Um, oh, speaking of which, I think the next one here is from Slam Jackson. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I will read that. Uh, Dear Mr. Sinjin, well, I have been working on your case for the past week. Thought I should update you on my progress so you can keep track of your billable time. Uh, also, can you tell them I really enjoyed car debate Hillary versus Obama on the most recent episode? Is there a lot more of that coming? Slam Jackson, private investigator. Well, I'll answer for Rory on that last part. Uh, there is another episode of car debate. Maybe you could call it an episode and a half, um, but that's it so far. I, I know t- car debate was pretty good, but Frank kind of screws it up a lot, so he doesn't... Anyway, uh, you'll you'll hear that one. You'll hear that one soon enough. Uh, but uh, actually, Jordan, if I if I may, um, I did... Well, part of the reason I actually 
actually brought good Frank Allen in was to help Slam Jackson find our Frank Allen. I thought we could ask good Frank Allen about where he would go if he were, uh, were our Frank Allen. You know? Oh, well, uh, I would be happy to help you out in any way I can. If, uh, if my other self is, uh, is in any danger or in any trouble, I'd be happy to, you know, do whatever I can. Well, that's excellent. Um, so let me ask you this. Uh, if you were to just disappear from the studio right now, if you were just to walk out of here and disappear, and let's, for the sake of argument, say not go back to your world, where would you go? Oh, well, I have always wanted to uh, take a, a trip across Asia, you know, stopping at all of the big cities, uh, uh, really experiencing life there. And, uh, you know, I actually have plans to do that um, probably next year. I've been saving up. Uh, but No, um, I'm sorry. But it, what if you had no money? Oh, if I had no money. Huh. It's going to be weird getting used to thinking about things that way again. It's been a long time. Yeah, I know. I, I, okay, I think I can do it. Uh, well, I mean, realistically speaking, if I didn't have any money, I would probably either... I'd probably go to one of my friends, you know, see where uh, if anybody else could help what me. What if you didn't have any friends? Wow. If I didn't have any... Oh, didn't have any friends either. Um, hmm. I don't, I, maybe I'd... I don't know. I'd go back to Binghamton, I guess, because, you know, that's where I'm from. The area, anyway. Okay, that that makes sense. That makes sense. So maybe Frank Allen is in Binghamton. I, I mean, again, this is a real hypothetical, and realistically speaking, him and I are different. So no, that's true. That is true. No, but still, you know, this this could be a good help to to Slam uh, Rory. You should uh, email him and let him know. Well, I mean, he's listening to the podcast now, so he'll get to this. You know, he'll hear it. Oh, yeah, you know, that's true. You're right. You're right. Um, well, hopefully, Slam, as you listen, uh, that will be helpful to you. And um. We have another letter? Yeah, it looks like we have one more. Okay, uh, go for it. Uh, this is from a Miss Angela Tymon. It says, uh, Hi, Jordan. I'd like to hear you do a Lady Gaga cover. Also, if possible, can Scape sing on a little of it? I just thought, since some of her songs have random nonsense parts, for example, Ra, 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 Ah, ah Roma, Roma, Ma, Gaga, Ula, La, in Bad Romance, it may sound like Fertress and Canting, which uh, the thought of makes me smile. Thank you, Angela Tymon. Um, well... Uh, huh. Well, I'll tell you what, Angela. I'm definitely adding Lady Gaga to the list. Um, the list is getting shorter all the time. Um, I'm definitely adding her to the list. I'll see. We'll see what song of hers I do. And if I do one that makes sense to have Scape do a little guest appearance, then sure. Well, you really should do that. She specifically requested it. Right. But I mean, it's a little, I mean, I'm not going to, you know. Dad, I think you should do it. We'll see, Scape. We'll see. Besides, I think Fertress in Canting doesn't really sound very... Song like no, Fertus. Yeah, that's true. Fertus would be kind of like, and then there would be like a sound effect, probably. Yeah, but that, I'm saying, but that's how his spells would go. That's his. That's my acting when I do his spells. And it's very well acted. Thank you for that. You were uh, one of the best performers in Epic Echoes, if I do say so myself. Well, thank you. <laughs> Dad, this guy is way better than our friend Aaron. Scape, that's not nice to say. No, I, that's seriously, Scapey. That's that. That is, I'm I'm touched that you would say that, but please, that's not that's not nice to your Frank Allen, who I understand has a lot of good qualities about him. I didn't I didn't know that I would say that. Well, s still, I'm sure he's. If he shares anything with me, then hopefully he, he does my name a little bit of good by being somewhat professional and you know competent things like that no i'm not sure i'm not sure i would say that then. all right all right rory i mean he's a friend of ours he's kind of a friend of ours so don't let's not badmouth him hopefully he's doing well out there hopefully he's doing well out there well listen uh but i will say a uh, good frank allen it has been a pleasure to have you on the show you are you are a really great guy and uh, we'd be really really happy to have you back anytime you want to be back on especially since we are missing a frank allen it, it would be great to have a frank allen so if you ever want to swing by 
do uh, be as a guest host, be a, be a do a Frank Allen interview. We'd be thrilled to have you do a Frank Allen interview. Oh, I couldn't, I couldn't. That's his show, you know. Yeah, but you we you clearly know how to do interviews. You do them yourself. Well, that is true. I'm I'm quite good at. That. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The invitation is open. Um. So everyone, uh, thank you, Angela. If you got if you guys are listening to this, and you want to write into us, castinwax at gmail.com. That's castinwax at gmail.com. You can send us. Uh, stuff about what you think of the serials. If you know where Frank Allen is, not good Frank Allen. We know where he is. He's right here. But uh, our Frank Allen. Uh, if you know where he is, please uh, send us an email about him. We've been getting a couple so far. Uh, anything you want to send into us, a uh, request for ukuleles for covers, you can do that as well at castinwax at gmail.com. Speaking of which, um, we did, I did record another ukuleles for cover song today. Another request for Miss Lynn Nelson. She wanted a request for a band that she actually did like, and she requested either Bell and Sebastian or the Decemberists. I went with Bell and Sebastian, one of the first songs of theirs I ever heard, and one of the first songs of theirs I ever really loved. Uh, it's called Seeing Other People. But, uh, while I do really enjoy Bell and Sebastian, I didn't want to just do their song exactly the way they do it. So I did it in as different a genre as I could, uh, as I could muster. Hopefully you guys will all enjoy seeing other people. My name is Jordan D. White. With me are my guest hosts, and we will all be seeing you. Just for practice Can we please be objective Cause the other boys are queuing up behind us A hand over my mouth A hand over the window Well if I remain passive And you just want to cuddle Then we should be okay And we won't get any muddle Seeing other people at least That's what we say we are doing Now how are you feeling? I don't think you can be dealing with the situation very well You take a lover for a dirty week and that's okay But when it's over you are looking at the working week Through the eyes of a gigolo That you're gonna have to change Or you're gonna have to go with girls You might be better off At least they know what they're doing We lay on the bed there Kissing just for practice Could we please be objective Cause the other boys are queuing up behind us A hand over my mouth A hand over the window Well if I remain passive and you just want to cuddle, then we should be okay. 
can We won't get in a muddle Seeing other people at least That's what we say we are doing Seeing other people at least That's what we say we are doing Seeing other people at least That's what we say we are doing That's what we say we are doing